Section 9 of Swanhilda and Other Fairy Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Swanhilda and Other Fairy Tales by Wilhelm Hoff. Translated by Carolyn Norris Horwitz. Section 9 The Stranger's Story. That you may perfectly understand me, I must be somewhat lengthy. I was born in Alexandria, of Christian parents. My father, the youngest son of an old and distinguished Frankish house, was the consul for his country in Alexandria. When ten years of age, I was taken to France by my mother's brother. There I remained until some time after the breaking out of the war in France. I then returned to Alexandria with my uncle, to seek shelter with my parents, for my uncle's life was no longer safe in his own land. Fully expecting to find again at my father's house the peace and safety of which the French troubles had deprived us, we landed after a pleasant voyage. But alas, the peace we hoped to find was not in my father's house. The raging storms of those warlike days had not, indeed, reached Alexandria. The more unexpected, therefore, had been the misfortune and overthrow of our house, and the afflictions that had fallen upon my family. My brother, who was a gay young man and my father's first secretary, was engaged to be married shortly to a young girl, the daughter of an Italian nobleman who resided in our neighborhood. A few days before our arrival, the young girl suddenly disappeared. Neither our family nor yet her father could find the slightest clue as to her whereabouts. They at last concluded that when taking a walk she must have ventured too far alone and fallen into the hands of pirates. Even this idea was almost better to my poor brother than the truth, which we all learned only too soon. The faithless girl had eloped with a young Neapolitan who had been a guest in her father's house. My brother, agitated to the utmost at this breach of faith, made every effort to bring back the runaways, but all in vain. His search in Naples and Florence, though it caused much excitement in both cities, only served to accomplish the destruction of our family. After a short search in his native city, the Florentine nobleman returned to Alexandria under the pretense of seeing justice done to my brother. He came, in fact, however, to ruin our whole family, and thus to revenge himself upon my brother for having made the elopement of his daughter so public. At once he stopped all inquiries and search which my brother had started and he knew so well to wield his power and influence which he always used solely for his own advantage that he caused the official doings of my father and brother to be mistrusted by their government through treachery and fraud they were arrested conveyed to france and there without trial executed at the block this awful blow deprived my mother of her reason in less than ten months, death released her from this terrible condition. But during the last few days of her life, her reason returned to her in its full power. After her death, I was alone in the world. In the days that followed my mother's death, only one thought occupied my mind. 
one desire only permitted me to forget for a moment my grief and desolation. It was that mighty flame of vengeance with which her last breath my dying mother had kindled within my soul. When her last hours, my mother's reason returned, she summoned me to her bedside and spoke with calmness of our sad fate and her approaching end. She then sent all others from the room, raised herself by a great effort on the poor couch, and said that I could only receive her parting blessing if I swore to fulfill her last wish. Awed by her words, I promised with an oath to perform whatever request she should make of me. At once she broke out into vehement curses against the Florentine nobleman and his daughter. In the most solemn words, she urged me to avenge on that Florentine the overthrow of our house and name. The thought of vengeance had long been slumbering in my breast. After my mother's death, it awoke afresh. I collected all that remained of my father's possessions, and swore to satisfy my revenge or die in the attempt. I was soon in Florence. Here I kept myself as secret as possible. My first plan was quite defeated by the position which my enemy held in his own city. I found that the old nobleman had been made chief ruler of the city and had thus all power in his own hands. He could arrest me at once if he had the slightest suspicion of my designs. A most unexpected occurrence helped me in my difficulty. One evening, when walking through the streets, I met a man dressed in a well-known livery. By his unsteady walk, his sullen glance, and half-muttered exclamation, Santo Sacramento and Maledetto Diavolo, I soon recognized old Pietro, a servant of the Florentine, whom I had known in Alexandria. From his manner, I had little doubt that he had fallen out with his master. I therefore determined to turn his bad humor to my advantage. He seemed much surprised to see me there, and complained to me that his master, since he had become chief ruler, had not dealt fairly with his old servants. My gold, adjoined to his anger, soon won him to my side. The greatest difficulty was now overcome. I had in my employment a man who could at any hour open my enemy's door to me in secret, and thus my plan of vengeance ran quickly on. The life of the old Florentine seemed to me too small a revenge for the ruin of our whole family. No. He must lose that which he loved above all in the world. This was Bianca, his daughter. Her first husband had died soon after their marriage, and she now was preparing for a second union. I was determined she must die. I shrank from the deed, however, and I did not consider Pietro clever enough to execute it with success. We therefore looked about for a man who might do the deed well. I dared not impart to anyone my plan or the name of the Florentine, for none would have undertaken to commit so great a crime against the chief ruler of the city or his family. At last, Pietro hit upon the plan, which I afterwards carried out. He suggested that you as a stranger, and moreover a surgeon, would be the fittest person to execute our scheme. How we carried it out you already know.' 
but my undertaking seemed to be thwarted first by your careful precautions and even after the recovery of my mantle by your great fear of doing anything wrong pietro opened for us the postern door of the governor's palace he would have conducted you back with equal precaution but at the awful sight which through a chink in the door presented itself to our eyes we both fled away in terror utterly overcome with horror and remorse i rushed on i knew not whither but when i had gone about two hundred yards i sank down into the street porch in a swoon when i again came to my senses my first thought was of you and the awful fate that must await you if you should be caught in the governor's house i hastened back to the palace but i could discover no trace of you or pietro the postern door however was open and so i had some hope that you would avail yourself of this means of escape as the day began to dawn i feared greatly that i might be discovered with this fear came an indescribable emotion of remorse and an irresistible longing to be again outside the walls of florence never to return i hastened to rome but judge of my agony when one day i overheard a man telling of this awful story to his companions and caught his closing words they caught the murderer he was a greek physician overburdened with anxiety i returned at once to florence already my revenge had seemed to me too great but now i cursed it i cursed myself revenge indeed was purchased at too high a price for it cost me your life i reached florence on the very day that deprived you of your hand it is needless for me to say what i felt when i saw you lay your hand upon the cruel block and suffer so heroically but from the moment the first drop of blood fell upon the soil, I was determined to support and protect you all the rest of your life. What has happened since, you know, and it only remains for me to tell you why I have taken this journey with you. As a burden heavy and hard to bear, the thought pressed upon me that you had never forgiven me. I therefore determined to spend some days with you in disguise, and at last to lay before you my small excuse for the terrible misfortune into which I had brought you. The Greek had heard his guest in silence. When the narrative was concluded, he made an answer in a calm, quiet voice as follows. I know well that you must be more unhappy than I for that awful deed hangs as a dark cloud before you, ever obscuring the sunlight from your day. From my heart I forgive you, but allow me to ask one question. How came you in that disguise in the desert? After you had bought for me the house in Constantinople, what next did you do? I went back to Alexandria, answered the Frank hatred against all men raged in my breast burning hatred especially against the country which is called italy the picturesque believe me i was less miserable among the mohammedans than in that land of italy scarcely had i been a month in egypt when there came to that land certain of my countrymen who had fled from the troubles in france in them i saw only the murderers of my father and brother i therefore collected certain young men of my acquaintance of like mind with myself 
and we determined to become a terror to the French nobility, even as formerly the Mamelukes had been to the Egyptians. When our campaign was over, I could not bring myself to return to a life of peace. With a small number of chosen allies, I lived a wandering and fugitive life, devoted to battle and the chase. And today, I live among these people who honor me as their prince. In this life, I am quite content. For if our Asiatic woods and plains are not so picturesque as are your European lands, yet they are far more free from the envy and calumny, the self-love and covetous ambition that abound in those fairer lands. Zalukos thanked the Frank for his explanation. He did not, however, conceal from his friend the opinion that he would find life more comfortable and more befitting his high birth if he would but live and work in some Christian land. Then, warmly shaking his guest's hand, he begged him to remain with him for the rest of his life. The Frank seemed much gratified at this warm invitation. Now I know, said he, that you have quite forgiven me, and are indeed my friend receive my most heartfelt gratitude for your generous pardon he arose as he spoke and standing before the greek drew himself up to his full height zalukos almost trembled at the warlike and almost gigantic form the dark and fiery eyes the deep mysterious voice of his guest your proposal is most kind continued the frank and might be accepted with great joy by any other man but for me it cannot be. Already my horse stands bridled at the door. Already my servants await me without. Zalukos, farewell. The friends whom fate had so strangely brought together embraced each other affectionately. And what shall I call you? What is the name of my guest who will ever live in my memory? asked the Greek. The Frank looked at him in silence for a while and then said as he pressed his hand once again, I am called the Lord of the Desert. I am the robber Orbison. End of section 9